the Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Derek McCarson, the Four Horsemen. A few years ago, J.D. Greer, who is the longtime pastor at Summit Church down in the Raleigh-Durham area, now the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, he published a small book with a very catchy title. It was called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. And in the opening chapter of that book, he tells a personal story, and I want to read an excerpt of it for you today. Listen to this. He said, one afternoon I was at a local basketball court and started a pickup game with a guy I'd seen there a few times. He was quite a character. He cursed like a sailor and had so many tattoos on his body, I wasn't sure what the actual color of his skin was. He boasted continually about how many girls he was sleeping with. He wasn't the kind of guy you'd expect to know his way around the Bible. But as we played our game, I began to share my story of how I came to Christ. About three sentences into it, he stopped me, grabbed the ball, and said, Dude, are you trying to witness to me? Surprised he even knew the term witness, I said, Uh, well, yes. He said, That's awesome. No one has tried to witness to me in a long time, but don't you worry about me. I went to youth camp when I was 13 and asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I was legit. I became a super Christian. I went to youth group every week. I did the true love waits commitment thing. I memorized verses. I went on mission trips. I even led other friends to Jesus. But, he continued, about two years after that, I discovered sex. And I didn't like the idea of God telling me who I could have sex with. So I decided to put God on hold for a while. And after a while, just quit believing in him altogether. And I'm a happy atheist now. And then J.D. Greer finished his story by saying, but then he added, but here's what's awesome. The church I grew up in was Southern Baptist, and they taught eternal security. That means once saved, always saved. By the way, didn't you say you were a Baptist? Welcome to this edition of the Four Horsemen podcast. I am your eternally secure host, Derek <laughs> McCarson. <laughs> and I'm joined by Dennis Thurman and Benjamin Kerfman and Adam Black, who it's partially don't secure. just have a hope-so salvation. They have a no-so oh, salvation. Okay. Yeah, now, you don't, say, you, you don't use the kind of language on the basketball court that this other guy did, right? <laughs> of course not. Okay. Or a so-so salvation. I don't really play in, anymore. Since, so. since you're eternally secure, I didn't know if that would give you a free pass or not. Well, if you spend any time in Baptist life or have counseled people, um, then the issue of eternal security or once saved, always saved, as you hear it colloquially, has probably been a point of tension. And that's what we're going to tackle in this episode of the Four Horsemen podcast. And I'm hoping in our time together that we can be uh, less awkward than that occasion that J.D. Greer experienced on the basketball court that day. So let's just dive right in. Let's go with the basics. I'm going to turn to Dennis. Brother Dennis, give us a definition of the doctrine of eternal security. Talk to us about why it's important, where we can find it in the Bible, and how it's different from other viewpoints, say, like conditional security. 
Well, the phrase that I would prefer, which I think is in our Baptist confession, uh, drawn from Scripture, is the perseverance of the saints. And, and the reason why I would prefer that is I think there is a grave misunderstanding uh, growing up in an Armenian church background. Uh, it was like, you know, I, I once was lost in sin and now I'm in again, you know, <laughs> kind, kind of thing. Uh, you, you just never, you had to hang on, you had to hold on. It was up to you. You, yeah, you believed in Jesus, but then you had to work like a beaver and, you know, do all those kinds of things. And then Baptists, of course, were looked upon as being that once saved, always saved. You get saved and do anything you want to do. And so that was the concept I had. Well, then you flip it around and you get connected with Baptists, which I did, and find that a lot of those people are like the guy that you described originally. Uh, yeah, you make a commitment, you ask Jesus into your heart, you pray a prayer, and then, you know, you got to get out of hell free card. And and I and I don't think Scripture teaches either one of those positions. I think those are both uh, erroneous. But the truth is that in every book of the Bible, throughout Scripture, the constant uh, drumbeat is that we're saved by grace. But that grace that saves us changes us from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, uh, you can talk about Romans eight. You can look at John chapter. 3, John chapter 6, I mean Ephesians 2, uh, you know, on and on and on that you can uh, look at the at the Scripture. And even in the Old Testament, uh, you know, you can find uh, situations of people like Moses and David and others who had their moral hiccups along the way but, but came back uh, to God. Psalm 51, David's repentance and so forth. So, so to me, what eternal security is about is that God has chosen me in his grace, has brought me to himself through the work of the Holy Spirit, has made me a new creation, has planted within me the grace that's going to bring me safely home. Uh, so that's how I see it. So you would say, maybe if we're going to use more theological terms, we'd say, the work of salvation from justification, sanctification, and glorification is all a work of God, and Absolutely. He brings you through to the end and completes the whole work of salvation. That's the perseverance of the saints, eternal security, he, whatever he, he term does. you want to put on it. But then the outward manifestation of that is going to be in the fruit right. that you produce, and if there's not any fruit, then that means that the root is not where it needs to be. If there's not that outward manifestation, there's not the inward uh, experience. And so that's where I think people miss what grace is all about. That grace is not just, uh, you know, a, a free pass, but it is God's active energy where we work out. Paul said, we work out what God works in. Mm-hmm. Work out your own salvation with right. fear and trembling. Right. All right, Ben, I'm going to turn to you now. I, I want you to talk to the people out there about some of the confusion that's related with eternal security, perseverance, perseverance of the saints. We've already hit upon some of that. Um, talk to us about what some of the misconceptions are out there, maybe the way the doctrine is understood by the regular, by a person that's uh, attending church or maybe by the culture. Uh, J.D. Greer pointed out one of those in the story that I told. Um, I mean, can't this doctrine be dangerous? I mean, it doesn't it turn into be a, a license for sin? 
um, if we're once saved, always saved. Um, so uh, talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it definitely can uh, and does a lot of times. Which, by the way, I would highly recommend that book, um, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. I've given that to several people. Um, it, it's a good primer for somebody who's kind of wrestling with assurance. Um, it's a good book for that. Um, yeah, the kind of the common understanding of eternal security uh, for most Baptists that I know is is basically this um, free grace, cheap grace theology of you know, God loves me and I'm his child. And so, you know, now I can do whatever I want. Um, but the scriptures are really clear uh, that, you know, a tree by its fruits. I mean, Jesus literally said that we're going through first John on Sunday mornings. And John is incredibly clear of uh, if you say that you're a Christian and you don't walk in the way that he walked mm -hmm. and you don't obey his commands mm -hmm. and you're not living for him, you are a liar uh, and you are deceived. And so a lot of people, um, they don't want to hear that uh, in the modern day because that basically rules out a ton of people who claim to be Christians. Um, now, when you start putting parameters on that of this is my definition of what it means to follow Christ, that just turns into legalism. So we're not trying to kick each other out of the kingdom. But a guy like what, what J.D. is saying is, you know, uh, I'm going to go to heaven anyways because I prayed a prayer when I was five year old, five years old at VBS. That's a really common thing that I hear right. uh, in in our area in the South in the Bible Belt. Is you know I went to VBS when I was five years old and I came down front you know on the Thursday when they asked us to raise our hand if we wanted to be saved and I prayed a prayer and you know I've lived like the devil for the last thirty or forty years but I know I'm going to heaven and. That's a lot of that is a misconception of the doctrine because, like, when you talk about eternal security, you have to ask the question: What am I being secured from? Mm -hmm. You know, like, like, what what does that even mean? And you've got to get into the doctrine of sin and the wages of sin is death, and that uh, there's a, a real hell uh, for people who are not made right with Christ or with God through Christ. And what I'm being secured from is the wrath of God, essentially. Um, and so the idea of being eternally secured, okay, well, how, well, how do I know that in eternity I'm going to be secured from God's wrath? Well, something must be done to satisfy that wrath, and, and that's essentially the good news of the gospel, which is why eternal security is, in my opinion, a key Christian doctrine, because if you remove eternal security in, in its true biblical form, you essentially remove the gospel. Right. Uh, there's no good news to tell the person like Catholicism does— you know, well, your baptism will remove your original sin, and then you're on your own. Good luck. Yeah, one thing you that know. I always go back to is, um, look, if you're saved by grace, then none of your works contributed to salvation. Right. So why would we think that if we're saved by grace, then it's our works that's going to keep us right. saved, right? It's it's right. it's grace all the way. Um, your 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 church attendance, Bible reading, prayer life, uh, holiness doesn't keep you saved. Right. 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 Because, because that's the whole idea is, is, uh, and there's conditional. Security, right. The idea and the thing is, is there is a condition in order to be secure, but that condition is that you, is that you must live a perfect sinless life, which none of us are able to do. How do you know when enough is enough? Right. Yeah. Well, you don't. And so what, you, what you have to do is, is you have to have a perfect sinless life credited to your account. Um, and, and that is essentially what the gospel is, is that um, uh, 
the 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 uh, check that's being cashed every day of my life that keeps me saved is not from money that I put in the bank. It's money that Jesus put in the bank, mm-hmm. and he put and he put in enough that it's going to pay for me every single day for all of eternity um, because of his infinite holiness. And so when you start tampering with that doctrine, what you end up with is a half gospel that that doesn't really save anybody um, because it's like, you know, Jesus died to give me a shot. And of course that ties in, which is a different conversation, but that ties in with the nature of the atonement itself of was the cross an actual atonement or potential atonement? Um, because some people would argue and say, you know, it's it's potential for everyone. I would say it's an actual atonement, which is the part of why I am secure, because uh, I am not potentially secure. I was secured at the cross, um, in like definitely, um, it, which is why I would agree, affirm like a definite atonement um, in that sense. But that that kind of goes down a different rabbit trail. <laughs> but but to me though, you you also in, in balance with that. Uh, you'll have Jesus saying, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." And the strength of the of the Greek is even strong. It says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they and they only will will see God." So without that purity of heart, we have no hope to see God. Uh, Be holy as I am holy, mm-hmm. God, God says. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Well, and fundamentally, Jesus says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." Exactly. And so, yeah. so, and John points that out of. If you are living a life that indicates that you are not following Jesus' commandments, then you don't love him. Don't be deceived. Don't don't buy into this. John's warning against that doctrine. That's what the Gnostics were saying is, is, you know, well, spiritually you're saved, and so whatever you do in the flesh doesn't matter. It makes no difference. And John's saying if you if you buy into that lie, then you're deceived if you think that what you do in this life has, is no indication of where you're at spiritually. Yeah, all this is great. And um, I think we're really hitting upon some some doctrinal truths here that maybe don't get discussed a lot in depth um, in most churches, and that's where a lot of the confusion comes from, uh, how we articulate the gospel and how we bring out these finer points. But uh, let's hear from Adam for the next f- uh, few moments. You got so, any finer points, Adam? <laughs> Adam, you <laughs> like... about the last Adam or this Adam? Yeah. <laughs> Like like yeah. you, I'm sure you've been in debates uh, on this issue with people once saved, always saved, and um, a lot of times when you get into a, a debate with somebody on the other side of this fence, uh, what it becomes is a scripture quoting match where you quote your scriptures, they quote their scriptures, and uh, nobody's mind really gets changed. In fact, you probably get more entrenched in your own position. I want you to talk for a second about or talk to the person right now who's probably wrestling with this and um, how are they going to resolve this in their mind? Um, How did you resolve it in your mind? Um, Where do you come down on this? But talk to the person who's kind of on the fence and maybe they're searching out this doctrine in their own spiritual walk and um, they're needing some guidance. Yeah. From the practical side of things. um, It's funny. I've actually, I preached a funny story Several years ago, I preached at a church um, in the community, and uh, there was about eight people there on Sunday morning and about five on Sunday night. And um, you know, I, I preached a good message, and the man come up to me afterwards, and he uh, he he asked me um, if I would be interested um, in considering being their pastor. 
and I, it kind of took me out of, I was like, whoa, kind of threw me out. I said, well, at the point we were church planting. His next words out of his mouth was, are you Armenian? And I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. I never actually met someone who claimed to be that. And so I said, I'm I'm not that. And that, it became kind of that debate. I pulled out my phone and I was looking up scripture and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we were just this exact scenario. But the thing that I realized after the discussion and we kind of agreed upon is we were talking past each other in a lot of these situations. Um, what he would define as someone who lost his salvation, we would probably consider someone who wasn't actually saved. Mm. Um, yeah, we're going to get into that here in a second. Yeah, keep going. And, and so, you know, um, and then I got in a debate with a guy, and I think he was half drunk when he was debating me on this, and because um, he, he, his son called me, and, and he his, his father was the one who was saying that you could lose your salvation, and on and on and on, and that if you had any sin, that you had to confess every single sin. Well, my the practical side of this, I said, well, how do you stay organized with your sin to know what you've, you know, and just to push back on him because he said every single sin, you know, if I die and I have one sin in my life, then I'm going to hell. I said, well, like how, do you, Catholic. how do you stay organized? Purgatory will take care of that. That's like, right. how Burn do you off. stay organized? Like, how do you do you write down every sin and then at the end of the day, like a checklist? And so from a practical standpoint, he he never could answer that. But um, I think what you guys talked about on the theological side is is re- really where we can rest in eternal security. I mean, we we honestly can sit back and, like you said, uh, the way I've always kind of viewed it is through marriage. In a sense, you're in a covenant um, with your wife and God, and and that covenant shouldn't be broken. And it technically, can't you're in that relationship, and you're you act you should act like a husband if you're truly in the marriage, you're going to pursue your wife, pursue God. And, and, and it's the same thing with the fruit. You know, if you're truly in a relationship with God, you're going to bear fruit from that. And, um, but the, to the person who's in these debates with these folks and understand I've learned not all the time, but so much of the time is you're talking past each other. You're saying a lot of the same exact things and you're just trying to say it in a different way. And even trying to argue, you're trying to win a debate that's really not winnable in a sense. Because and sometimes Facebook is a really poor venue. Oh, it's most of the time. Things. The good thing is I had both of these debates within, um, in person. I mean, the guy that said he, um, that he lost the salvation. I actually got to meet with him and he was talking about how you had to be baptized to be saved because there's blood in the water. Um, I was like, I didn't know that. Like, he said, what? Yeah, what kind of baptism awesome. are you doing? Lord, what? Yeah, because he said the way he put it, he said, "What washes away your sins?" I was like, "Well, you know, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection." And he said, "The blood of Jesus." You know the song. And I said, "So you believe there's actual blood in the water?" And he goes, "Not really, but sorta." Sacramentally, <laughs> I said so, but he did believe, which I didn't know this, or something. Yeah. <laughs> right? Which I didn't know. You know, the people who believe you—you you have to be yeah. baptized to be saved. He believed that each time you got saved, you had to be rebaptized. Oh Lord, yeah. So their church, I'm sure, was just every Sunday. Everybody's walking through car wash, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, good good discussion there, Adam. Um, I'm gonna throw out a couple of questions here, and you guys can just jump in whenever you want to. Let's talk about this term that we hear a lot um, from pulpits and in our churches, backslidden. Because I think that's related to this topic. Mm -hmm. 
what in the world does that actually mean? Because I think we say it a lot and we don't define it. Is it actually a biblical concept or is it something that we've made up? And um, how does that relate to eternal security? Well, you, you will definitely find the term in Scripture. Uh, and I can think several places in the Old Testament in particular, and it talks about how Israel turned away from God, committed spiritual adultery uh, as a people. I think you've got the concept in, uh, you know, the, in the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Uh, you start out in Ephesus, uh, how they left their first love. And uh, Jonah was probably a backslidden Jonah, prophet. Jonah was, but then I also think about, you know, if we're talking about apostasy, of, of abandoning your faith. In that first, was going to be my next question. Well, in first, in first John, uh, you know, he says, they went out from mm-hmm. us because if they had been of us, no doubt they would right. have remained with, with us. us. Yeah. And so when a person can, quote, backslide and, and leave and abandon God, and they're not chastened, because mm-hmm. again, you get into Hebrews, the chastisement mm-hmm. of God, uh, if there's no evidence of that and, and they walk away, then they never were regenerate. They may have gone through the motion. They may have you know, had an, an emotional experience. Go, go back to the uh, parable of the sower mm-hmm. and look at the seed that was uh, uh, sown on stony ground, how quickly it sprang up. And right. Jesus himself said these are people that uh, have great joy that mm-hmm. receive the message but then there's no fruit mm-hmm. when the persecution comes. They turn away or the weeds choke it out. Only the good seed that bore fruit mm-hmm. in varying amounts, but that was the only real soil of, of salvation. So what I want to know, Derek, is not just did you have an experience when you were 10 or 15 or 20, but today is God's grace evident in, in your life. And to me, that's what the uh, perseverance of the saints is all about. Well, yes. My, oh, go ahead, Adam. Yeah, my, my, I mean, my own personal testimony real quick. I mean, I was baptized when I was seven, and then when I was 17. <laughs> I wasn't really saved at seven. There's there's no doubt in my mind I went forward, asked Jesus into my life because everybody else did, and then at 17, God saved me. However, the craziest times of my life, the furthest I ran from God was after I was saved. I mean, it was after I was saved, although I knew the entire time that God had his hand on me, especially now looking back, I can see God's hand in the mm-hmm. whole thing. But right. so I considered myself someone who truly backslid. And I would almost argue that, you know, the prodigal son, right? because the prodigal son was always his son. He never lost, you know, and he left and come back. And so I think there's some element to that. So. The passage that Dennis referenced a few seconds ago, First uh, John 2, let me just read that, 19 and 20. It says, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. And then listen to the next verse. But you have the anointing of the Holy One, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and you all have knowledge. I think that's very important there because what the text is suggesting is that if you walk away from Christ, if you deny Christ, either in creed or in deed, uh, then you never had the Holy Spirit in the first place. Um, So that's really one of the critical distinctions that we need to make here in once saved, always saved, because you hear so many times uh, people 
say that they walked the aisle, made a profession, signed a card, and got baptized when they were 12 or whatever, and then they have no fruit or no evidence throughout their life, well, then you have to seriously question that and say, well, did you were, were you ever really saved in the, in the first place? Because, Regenerate. Right. Born again. Mm-hmm. Um, so another issue that kind of relates to this is a term that we've already um, thrown out here, and that's apostasy. That's a biblical word. It really means falling away. Really, the whole book of Jude, um, right before Revelation, is all about apostasy. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 4.1, that in the last days, many shall fall away from the faith, and they'll uh, believe uh, deceiving doctrines and doctrines of demons and so on. So um, how does apostasy fit into this whole discussion? Well, that a true believer cannot do that is connected what you just read. Right, yeah. That that unction of the Holy One will prevent you. It doesn't mean that you may not have times of questioning. You might even waver. Uh, you may wander down a, a, a bad path. But, but you're going to have that check in your spirit that says, I, I can't go that way. That's mm-hmm. not right. And, and you're drawn back because that's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth inside of you. So if you become apostate, you've abandoned truth. Jesus is the truth, and you walk away from him, then to me that indicates that he there's not that personal relationship. Right. So there there might be a couple of examples that we could point to in the Scripture of, of known apostates. Uh, certainly Judas is probably a, a good example, even though we may say, did, did he even really know the Lord personally, even though he... He knew him being in the 12, but did he have a real relationship? Um, Demas. Right. Paul mentions him. Yeah. Simon um, the magician. Simon the magician. Um, we could look at probably the church at Laodicea and the book of Revelation chapter 3. Uh, the last church that's mentioned there among the seven. Uh, was Sardis a, had a name they were alive, but they were what? Dead. Right. Um, probably one of the biggest examples to me in my own life of apostasy is uh, Bart Ehrman. I, I know some of you have been listening to this for a while, and you know that uh, I went to UNC, and my freshman year I had Bart Ehrman as my New Testament professor, and his whole testimony was that he had a born-again Christian experience. He went to Wheaton to study for the ministry, and then as he got into the uh, depths of studying the text, he noticed all these alleged errors and um, problems with the Bible, and his faith ended up unraveling, and now today, if you see him on the History Channel, if you read one of his books, he's a, he's an example of a deconversion, or uh, what we would call an apostate, somebody who completely uh, denies the faith and, in fact, uses their platform to discredit and tear down the faith of others. So it's definitely uh, something that's related to this. I want to finish up, though, um, by talking to you about some different indicators of what we can look at in our spiritual lives to be assured of our salvation, Uh, because we have probably run into that person, maybe counseled somebody who's having those doubts. um, They're becoming more mature in their Christian walk, and they're saying, you know, I'm I'm having having doubts that what did I pray when what I did you know when I was 13 was that real or you know uh, what's going on in in my heart so guys give us some um, checklists or some indicators that 
we know we can look at and say, if you have these things evident in your life, um, these are these are things that we can look at that would suggest and confirm that we truly do belong to Christ. I think um, I think a big one in my mind would be uh, I would say a biblically aligned conscience. Um, I, I wouldn't say just conscience because that can be too subjective sometimes, but a conscience that's aligned with Scripture. So, for instance, I've had church members and others come to me and say, you know, um, I, you know, I wonder if I if I had just recently became converted and maybe you know I thought that I was saved before, but I wasn't really sure, you know. And, and the question that I want to ask them, I don't want to give them false assurance. You never right. want to do that, mm-hmm. but you want to ask them, okay, wh- what are the things that are when you became a Christian before, or or you said that you were a Christian, you know, earlier, tell me about that experience. Tell me about what was going through your mind. And if that was a result of a biblically informed conscience in the sense of, I wasn't just coming down and praying a prayer because everybody wanted me to, but having like a horror over your sin of like, I really recognized that I was a sinner, that I had offended God, you know, or um, I've had some people come and say, um, you know, I'm not really sure I'm saved because of this particular sin in my life that I feel really convicted about. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, that's a pretty good indicator that you actually are a believer because your, your conscience is being afflicted by sin. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't happen to lost people. So normally the only time a lost person would express sorrow over sin is if it, if it um, in some way damaged their pride or self-interest. But for somebody to just say, I know that this doesn't please God and it bothers me that I'm doing this, that's a pretty good indicator that the Spirit's working yeah, in their 1 life. 1 Corinthians 7 mm-hmm. talks about um, repentance that right. leads to, or sorrow that leads to repentance. Right? Right. And, and I've already touched on this, but just to follow mm-hmm. up what, what Ben was saying, he talked about the affliction of your, of your soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I can still do the stuff that I used to do. I have the capacity to sin. I'm just not going to enjoy it like I did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel convicted over that. But but then, as well as the affliction of the soul, there's the affliction of the body. You know, in, in Hebrews, uh, it's, to me, it's very clear that if you are a genuine child of God, you cannot get by with a life of rebellion. Right. There Hebrews will 13, be correction, yeah. discipline, mm-hmm. God's going to do all of those things in your life. He's going to take you to the woodshed mm-hmm. because he's even a death. heavenly father. Right. I mean, there's at least the death. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. E- yeah. Even, you know, so that your soul might, might yeah. be preserved. And, and right. Sapphira, uh, possibly an example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and Paul talks about that in, uh, in first Corinthians, uh, as well, uh, about, uh, you know, being, being saved, uh, you know, so as by fire, mm-hmm. as some people will be, but, uh, th- there are those judgments that come, and so I, I think that's an evidence. But if you can be, you know, say you're saved and go out and live in sin, do whatever, and, and just be content and happy and prosper and just, you know, go on your merry way, something's wrong there. Well, I mean, First John, again, said if anyone continues in sin or persists in sin, they are not in Christ. So it's not saying that we don't sin. Um, he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, which is our, that is our eternal security, right? The advocate. We're not advocating for ourselves. So we are secure because of Christ. But a life of, pra- of practice of sin is, is we are not capable. Like, like you said, God, God will sovereignly intervene in the lives of his children. You know, I, my, my kids do stuff all the time that I hate, <laughs> all the time. 
But if I see a, a pattern in their life of consistently doing something that disobeys me or dishonors me or causes uh, harm to themselves, I'm going to sovereignly intervene in that situation <laughs> and stop them from Why? doing it because I love them because they're my children. You love yeah. Them. yeah. And so it's one of those things where I'm going to exercise sovereignty in their life to stop them from harming themselves and, and from dishonoring me because I have the power to do it and because it's for their good, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're able to live that life of rebellion or practice that sin and you receive no chastisement, just like you said, he chastises every son that he loves. Uh, then the, the, the scripture says, yeah, you're an illegitimate child. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. not really his. Adam, what do you think, buddy? Love is not the acceptance of all behavior. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's practical, no, Adam. That's very that, practical. that was worth tuning in for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, one of the things that I've been working with with our people is is really just your, your the time. You know, what are you spending your time and your thoughts and, but really your time, you know, if you're, if you've separated yourself from the, the body, um, and, and you're okay with that. Um, if you've, uh, separated yourself from the word and I'm talking over periods of time, um, and your mind isn't reflecting on scripture, um, you're not involved, uh, in pr- your prayer life is, is, is struggling. Over a longer period of time, I and mean, we all go through seasons, but um, I think that could be a clear indicator because of that relationship aspect, right? You know, you know, if you talk to your spouse as much as you talk to God, how good would your relationship be? And you know, with some people, there's no relationship at all, and mm-hmm. I think that might be a clear indicator. Is really just the amount of time, mm-hmm. you know. And um, you know, I, I heard um, I was listening to a parenting thing the other day, and it, it was talking about, you know, to, to really check your priorities in practice is to ask your kids what's the most important thing in your life and um, to hear what they say, you know. And um, I think Adam will like this one. I'll, I'll throw out church attendance as an indicator. Well, and and that's what I was saying. You know, yeah. You're separating yourself from the body because— If you say you love Jesus and you hate his bride, there, there's a problem there. If you love the Father, you want to be with the family. Cause you, right. Yeah, because you meet that person all the time in the community. You know, where do you go to church? I don't go to church anywhere. You don't have to it's, go to church to be a Christian. It's, that's right. It's full of hypocrites. Right. You know, I, I went to that church, and, and they were judgmental, but I know I'm saved. And, it's, and, and listen, I'm, there are some churches you shouldn't go to. I'm, I won't hesitate at all to say that. But there is no perfect church where there's never any hypocrites and nobody's ever judgmental and everybody's always nice to you and always loves you no matter what. That just doesn't happen because it's got human beings in it. But but the fact of the matter is, is, you know, for somebody to say, uh, you know, yeah, I'm saved. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but I don't have anything to do with his people. I don't feel the need to gather corporately with him i don't feel like i need preaching in my life or it needs to be done it, on my terms it, it, that, that's just that just doesn't match up you right. couldn't do that with any other relationship in your right. life and have a healthy relationship i've dealt with some so people don't that it's like they, they want they'll say i want to do bible study or i want to do this but um i can't do it here 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 i need you to do it. i need you to send me a text i had one if you'll just text me I don't want to come to any kind of life group or I don't want to come to church or I don't want to come to anything. If you just send me some devotions or, or I can look at a devotion on my phone, you know, mm-hmm. on a daily basis. I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, but that can't be your only right. uh, relationship. Yeah. Well, it's really about the orientation of your life, I think, and, and the biblical uh, understanding of repentance <clears throat> where you have 
uh, an orientation towards sin and the things of this world. And when God does a work in your life, there's an orientation toward heaven, toward eternity, and, and toward righteousness. And, and that's an indicator. Uh, you, you won't always uh, go the direction you need to. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. But you're still making progress. You're still headed, mm-hmm. you know, the, the right way. And, and I was just thinking about uh, this great uh, modern hymn, When I Fear My Faith Will Fail, mm-hmm. Christ Will Hold Me Fast. When the mm-hmm. tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Right. And then then that's repeated, of course, mm-hmm. he will hold me fast. Yeah. And but but see, you find you find comfort, you find assurance, not a false assurance, not a license to sin, but such a depth of gratitude at mm-hmm. the grace of God that's at work in you to know that he's going to be the one to bring you through. Amen. Those are all great points, fellas. And I hope this helps somebody out there listening to this um, in your own personal walk or maybe how you're going to relate to others next time you get into this discussion. Um, So just to recap, uh, when you look at your own personal life, how can you bring assurance to your heart of salvation? Uh, There's confession, uh, 1 John 5, 1. What do we believe about Christ? Are we believing correctly about Christ, believing in the Christ of the Bible? Um, there's change. Is there a real difference in my life since I met Jesus? First um, John 2.29 speaks to that. We talked about conviction. Do we feel the convicting sting of the Holy Spirit when we sin? First John 5.18, Hebrews 13, and so on, the discipline of the Lord that he brings to our life. We talked about gathering together with God's people, and having compassion uh, on uh, not only the lost, but also God's people. Do we love them? Uh, if we love Jesus, we're going to love what Jesus loves, and Jesus loves his bride. And so um, we close with uh, one quote that I heard a long time ago, and I don't remember exactly who said it, but I think it encapsulates a lot of what we talked about here today. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed the episode. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast and be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side, they say their grass is greener. Seen the forecast. Man, they call him for Katrina.